Hello, and welcome to Listed, a Forbes podcast about people, money, and power. I'm your co-host, Abe Brown. I'm the other co-host, Maggie McGrath. And today, we're going to talk about Guy La Liberté and Cirque du Soleil. Bonjour, Maggie. Salut. You're so unthused for my French. I've been practicing. You've been practicing, but as someone who is a double major in French and oh, communication, I am very self-conscious about speaking <laughs> French in front of an audience. Well, I do love an audience. Just like the person we're discussing today. That is very true. Billionaire Guy La Liberté. He is the founder of Cirque du Soleil and a whole other entertainment phenomenon. We're going to talk about both those. To start, I want to know something from you. Have you seen a Cirque du Soleil show? I have. I went to Vegas in 2011 and saw Love, the Cirque du Soleil show, all mm. using the Beatles uh, mm -hmm. music. They actually remastered a bunch of the music and it plays in the seat. Um, so it's kind of, there are speakers in each seat. Mm -hmm. And um, I grew up dancing, so I, and I grew up tap dancing, so I really appreciated. They have a version of Blackbird. Blackbird singing in the dead of night. In addition to not speaking French, I'm going to put a pin in you singing as well. But oh, you're really hampering my fun. I am thinking only of our dear listeners. <laughs> um, but they actually put on roller skates and tap danced mm -hmm. slash roller skated to Blackbird. And it's a really rhythmic song. It was a beautiful piece. In addition to, they were jumping on trampolines during Revolution. It was It was a really entertaining and creative show, much like all the other Cirque shows. But what about you? What's your Cirque experience? I've only been to one. It's not one of the famous ones. It came to the Meadowlands. I was called Volta. It struck me as a little bit of Clockwork Orange uh, played out acrobatically. And I was super impressed by this, but you who study dance and knows a lot more about dance than I do probably isn't, wasn't as surprised by this. But what really surprised me was how physical the performance was and the the performers are basically in pro athlete shape. Well, dancers are athletes, I have always said. And also, I think to execute a Cirque show well, you do need trained gymnasts in the show because there are trapezes, there are all sorts of acrobatic elements that dancers know, but someone who's been doing gymnastics for their whole life is much more comfortable with. But curating that kind of mess of personalities and skills takes a... An, a certain kind of genius, which is why I'm really excited to dig into to Guy and talk to Maddie about what she's observed through covering him. Well, he's been in the Forbes world for a long time. He ranked at number 2057 on last year's World's Billionaires list with a $1.1 billion fortune, not an insignificant sum. It's funny because to be number 2057th on anything sounds like you're kind of low on the totem pole, <laughs> but then we have to remember $1.1 billion from a worldwide entertainment franchise is nothing to sneeze at. In 2009, he was the first Canadian civilian to take a trip to space, and he actually wrote a first-person essay about his trip for our magazine. I think it offers some really interesting insight to who he is as a person and his need to exceed limits. He told us, quote, when I was very young, people would ask me what I wanted to do when I was older. And my answer was, I want to travel the world. For me, the space trip was more about that passion of traveling than of going to space. I actually find this really interesting because through Cirque, he has traveled the world again and again. 
Um, But he's also this really curious individual, and traveling the world through business clearly wasn't enough. He needed to launch into outer space. We will be talking about all of that and more with our guest and expert, Maddie Berg. Maddie has been a reporter and writer on the Forbes staff for a number of years, and she has focused her reporting on the world's entertainers. And at the Forbes Circus, she doesn't tame the lions. The lions have to tame her. It's Maddie Berg. Maddie, thank you so much for joining us in the studio. Thank you for having me. So... Guy is a billionaire. You've covered him for a few months, years now. A few years. How has Cirque du Soleil gotten so big? How has he become a billionaire? So Guy La Liberté did not start out as a billionaire. He started out as a busker on the street. And a busker for the uninitiated is? A busker is those people on the streets playing accordion, maybe fire breathing, walking on stilts, trying to get some change. It's those people in Times Square who pursue you for your dollar. Exactly. But he did not wear any sort of like Luigi or Mario. Yeah, no Elmo costume. (laughs) (laughs) And so he formed a little circus troupe um, that ended up getting a grant from the Canadian government. It's not really a grant. They got paid by the Canadian government to put on a show. And this is all in Montreal. It was in in the province of Quebec, around the province of Quebec. And so he ended up doing this very fantastical circus with this troupe. And the one principle was no animals. Um, So rather than being amused by an elephant doing a trick, you're 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 enchanted by acrobats. You're enchanted by fire breathers. Original soundtracks have always been an important part. Um, Guy plays the accordion. Um, Did he play for you? He did not. Um, I don't know how actively he's still playing. He's now a DJ. Um, oh, which that's is, right. Yes, which is his kind of big, his big musical thing right now. Um, so he actually started out as a musician. And so it all had original lighting, music, costumes. That's how it started out. Um, eventually, the show came to America, um, California. They were almost broke. And um, they, this was kind of a, it was either they were successful in LA or they were done. They ended up selling out doing super well, traveling the world, and slowly but surely, everybody kind of heard about this new entertainment phenomenon. And that's kind of, with everything Guy La Liberté does, he's the first one to do it. It's kind of what he wants, what he what he's seeking out. Maddie, you went to meet him in, in Montreal. Yes. What is that experience like? What is he like in person? Oh, he is... Exactly. He's so chill. He's in ripped jeans. He's in a black beanie. He has bracelets <laughs> on, sneakers. He has a scruffy beard. He's chain smoking cigarettes. Um, he He's very relaxed. He's very much what you'd expect an artist to be like, mm-hmm. kind of a successful middle-aged artist to be like, rather than, you know, a bust, buttoned up businessman. Yeah. He um, was wearing a scarf and a tight black t-shirt. He's very excited when you talk about the art and what he's doing. He's a lot less excited when you bring up numbers, not because he doesn't want to share, but because he just is not in it for the business aspect of it. So he's an artist at at heart. He's definitely an artist. So he's he's a little bit of both, actually. So his dad um, was more buttoned up a businessman. He was in PR. Um, His mom was a creative. And so growing up, he had these two kind of contrasting influences. And so while he was into music as a kid, always playing music, he also 
was selling his baseball cards in the schoolyard trying to turn a profit. So he definitely has this entrepreneurial spirit, but but he doesn't get excited about it the way he does about art. How did his parents feel when he became a busker, a street busker? So I think they were probably not happy. He had dropped, <laughs> as most parents would be. He he was in school, I believe, for engineering, college. He dropped out. Damn, that's a hell of a change. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, think about all the engineering that goes into a Cirque show. I, I think very quickly, Maddie, why don't you tell us, you were in Montreal. Yes. And you were, he has actually sold Cirque du Soleil. So yes. you're in Montreal to see something entirely else. He sold Cirque du Soleil. He's building something entirely new. What is he building? Okay, so yes. In 2015, he sold almost all of Cirque du Soleil for $1.5 billion. Mm -hmm. He kept a stake, a 10% stake, in order to have a little creative output. They run decisions by him. But by then, Cirque du Soleil... um, 10 million people were seeing it a year. Um, It had many locations in Vegas, across the world. Um, It employed 4,000 people and um, had over 800 million in revenue a year. Cirque du Soleil is doing well, um, but it's a little bit repetitive, I think, is the way to put it. Cirque is a very specific kind of performance, and they're doing that. It's, you know, the acrobats, the lights— could change, but it's not, nothing's groundbreaking anymore. So he sells it. So he's done with Cirque. What's next for Guy? So he takes a couple years off. He buys um, an island in French Polynesia. He builds an estate on Ibiza. <laughs> he kind of hangs out with his kids. Um, he, he DJs around a little bit, but he decides, I really, he's not the type to sit around and do nothing. He's still relatively young. He's in his 50s, 50s. 50s. And so he he has a ton of money. He just got a $1.5 billion windfall. So he has to do something with it. Um, So he takes not a lot of it, only $100 million or so, and puts it into an entertainment company called Loon Rouge Entertainment. And Loon Rouge Entertainment is the parent company of what I was there to see. It's called PY1, and it's a giant pyramid. It's 15,000 square feet. It cost $30 million to build. And it's this huge structure that is actually collapsible. So you saw this thing. Walk us through what it looks like in Montreal. What's your, what are you thinking when you see it for the first time? I guess you're like, what could be inside here? It looks like a traditional pyramid um, made out of, you know, gray, modern. It looks very modern and it really sticks out in Montreal's kind of skyline, which is, you know, you have older buildings, you have the big cross, you have the beautiful Jacques Cartier Bridge, you have a a Cirque du Soleil circus tent. Yes. um, And then right next to it is this huge modern pyramid structure. And um, it's towering. It's tall. There's nothing, and I think this was what excited him, there has never before been entertainment inside a pyramid before. There's been entertainment inside a dome, inside a circus tent, inside an arena. This is completely new. That's such a specific thing to get excited about. The the shape of the arena in which there is entertainment. I think we have a clip from a Forbes video profile of Guy where he describes PY1 in his own words. Let's hear it. Pyramid will be activated in the morning with yoga, immersive experience. Then we'll have our show, which is called Through the Echoes, which is basically our interpretation of this journey of life from the Big Bang to today. We want to be festive. And so tonight we'll have dancing environment where DJ will be there. 
And the pyramid is also able to receive some unplugged little show conventions. So I think we had created a perfect sandbox to grow creatively for the next 10, 15 years. Guy is always excited by the new and the different. So basically, rather than using humans and physical, the physicality of Cirque du Soleil, Guy with PY1 and inside this pyramid, he wants to create the Cirque du Soleil of technology. He wants to use lasers and speakers and projectors, eventually VR goggles, to create this completely new technological entertainment experience. From what you've described it as, it just sounds trippy AF. It is trippy AF. It's definitely a little weird, a little bit of a, almost what I'd expect being like acid is on. You sit. (laughs) (laughs) Not that you would know anything about it. I actually wouldn't. You would sit on a pillow. You sit on a pillow. You look up at the sky. There are lights and noise and a narrator talking about the Big Bang and about plants. There's sound effects. There are lasers. You know, it really looks like you're inside a lava lamp is I think the best way to put it. Um, You're looking up and you're looking to your sides. Everybody's experiencing this together, not in a seat. Um, and and it's it really is just like <laughs> it really. He's such a child of the seventies. Yeah, exactly. It's almost like I feel like this is if you went into Guy's brain when he was thinking of Cirque du Soleil, this would be a little part of it. I was just about to say, I feel like his creations are so out there. And this inside of a lava lamp, like what have you learned about his creativity and where it comes from and how he thinks as an artist? Because there's the business side and then there's the artistic side. Yeah, he's wacky. I think there's no two ways about it. He is not the kind of person that would write a play. He is not the kind of person that would sit through a musical. To be completely honest, what Cirque du Soleil has become Mm -hmm. seems almost a little antithetical to who he feels to be as an artist who's always wants to create, to evoke emotion in you, to make you feel like you're living through something new and weird and experiential. Um, I think he's excited by by the weird. So when I saw Cirque du Soleil, even in the middle of this franchise boom, dozens of shows going on around the world. It still struck me as weird. It still struck me as fascinating. It still entranced me. I still loved going to see the show. And that's good. It means the experience that Guy has created is unfolding exactly as it should. I also understand his perspective, right? It's unfolding the way it should, but he's kind of bored of it. So Maddie, I'm really curious, is he unique in his creative restlessness? How does Guy compare to other entertainment moguls you've interviewed and written about? As I said, he's a little wackier. (laughs) Um, Wackier than all the others? Very few entertainment billionaires like to talk about numbers. Yep. But he seems not only that he doesn't want to talk about it, that he's just not that interested in it. I think he likes his toys. We rode around in a really tricked out Range Rover when we were in Montreal. He has a super nice office. You know, we had... A chef prepared a nice lunch for him. So I think that he enjoys the perks, but I don't think he's in this as a businessman. I think he likes to be pretty removed from that. Now that he has this money, I think he's pretty willing to just experiment with it. He's invested in a bunch of startups. Some are really weird that you can kind of memorialize your pet in certain ways, like memory things. His mind is... uh, He's willing to spend money on what interests him in a way that I think others wouldn't. He's yes. a polymath. Yes. His mind is clearly doing a lot more acrobatics than mine could possibly ever do. His mind is in Cirque du Soleil. 
Earlier, Abe and I were talking about Guy's trip to outer space, which he paid $35 million for, by the way. Did you and he talk about that at all? No. Interestingly enough, he was open. I could ask him about anything. He would not talk about this. I was warned. I was warned in advance that he does not want to talk about it. It was the one thing he just would not talk about. I don't know. Okay, now I am 100% more interested. I'm sure. I mean, me too. The Barbara Streisand effect. Yes, and we mentioned it in the story. They asked us not to. That way he went to space. They asked us not to. Um, I think it's, you know, the most interesting thing. I don't know if it's the fact that he paid so much money for something that seems quite... Hey, I mean, think about the other, like, stupid things that rich people pay for. $35 million is nothing. I know. That is fascinating. It was that, and they didn't want... Um, us getting him smoking on camera. Um, those were the two things that they. He's a chain smoker. Yeah, he. Oh, I mean, as soon as as soon as the camera went off, we've covered a lot. I want to know: is there anything we've missed? Anything super fascinating about Guy and your experience in Montreal that we should hit on before we move on to our segments? I mean, going to Montreal. Um, and talking about Guy to my cab drivers, people in the hotels, things like that. It's as if you mentioned Mike Bloomberg in New York. Oh, um, he's a superstar. He's there. a superstar. He's a celebrity. Um, you know, I feel like he's almost the mayor of Montreal in a way. Um, he, they are so proud of him and what he's done with Cirque. Huh. Um, they are so proud of the money he's pouring into the city, whether it's mentoring artists or he's bought a huge chunk of the city that he's restructuring and developing into a public space. Um, he loves his city and they love him too. And they really, they have a hundred percent faith in anything he does. Um, they think he's so cool. I think he DJed at the pyramid and I'm sure there was a line outside the door that night because he is a celebrity there. That's fascinating. Yeah. I never would have known that. Well, speaking of celebrities, I think that's a great segue into our segment. Yes, let's do it. We like to have fun over here. Well, and sometimes when I'm, Maggie allows me to have fun. I'm sorry that I am again protecting our audience from your worst impulses. But I want to bring up one of your better impulses. Let's do the segment we're calling Casting Call. We cast the movie of this person's life, so we would like to debate with you who should play Guy La Liberté in the movie about his life, his efforts, and Cirque du Soleil. Okay, he looks a little bit like Jason Statham, so I can see that kind of going. He's he's ripped. He looks very fit. He is kind of cool looking and smooth. Okay. Well, and I'd like to see Jason kind of take on a more artsy role too. I can't believe you said that because I literally have Jason Statham on a Google image search result right now because I wanted to make sure that my impulse was accurate. But yeah. the other thing we should mention is Guy has uh, not ha- no hair on top, yes, right? Exactly. He's either bald or buzz cut. So that was why I thought of Jason first. But there's also a little bit of scruff that Jason usually wears and Guy and different. Yeah. I think he was scruffy for your interview. Oh, absolutely. So I completely concur with Maddie. Abe, are you going to disagree? Of course. Okay, so firstly, I guess I'm going to say that I am uh, my my movie version of Guy's life is a musical. I think it has to be a musical. Oh, of course. And I'm going to go Hugh Jackman because obviously he was great in The Greatest Showman. Can sing, can dance. Yeah. Sure. And I, is ripped, though I still don't think Guy's ripped. I don't know that I can picture Hugh without hair. Uh, it's the movies. It's movie magic. Let's move on to Sidebar. Abe, why don't you explain Sidebar to our guests? Sidebar is a segment in which we take a sidebar and think about whether we'd like to go to the bar with this billionaire and what you would have at that bar. Oh my God, that's so fun. 
Um, I feel like Guy would want to go to the aviary or something like that, which is that cocktail bar. In the Mandarin in, Oriental. Yeah, and then there's one in Chicago, one in New York. And, they, you know, their drinks have smoke and come in weird containers. They're super, some might say like a little bit kitschy, but also like amazing. I think he would go there. I went to the aviary for the first time, 100% agree. I had to... Like one of the cocktails they served me, I had to like blow into it to like mix it up. 100% agree. Yeah, he would like eat it all up. Like I'd be, I would be like, just give me, you know, a tequila on the rocks. I don't want to deal with this, but I feel like he He would would love love it. it. Yeah, he'd love it. There is a theatricality to that. I actually was Googling Cirque du Soleil-inspired drinks. Okay. And the Ivy Kensington Brasserie over in the UK actually did a few Cirque du Soleil drinks um, in conjunction with the Cirque show Totem. So the drinks, the cocktails that they developed included the tropical trapeze made with Hendrix gin, creme de banana, lime juice, hibiscus syrup, and peach bitters. And the garnish does look like a trapeze. It's like a little bit of an arched thing over a over an olive oh, or something. It, it looks it looks like a gymnastics. And move. if there's ever any other sign that the franchise has become overextended, it's licensed drinks. I know. Well, it's not a licensed drink. I think this establishment took it upon themselves to themselves to do cocktails that were inspired by Cirque. The other one is called the Drum Dance. Seven-year-old Havana Cuban rum, grenadine syrup, lime juice, clementine, and cinnamon juice. Well, that that one would, because both of those are a little tropical to go on his French Polynesian island um, that he has, I believe, in case the world ends. Um, You know, I think (laughs) that's— Is he a doomsday prepper? I don't know if it's doomsday climate change. I think he wanted a, a safe space. He's a billionaire. He can buy whatever he wants. <laughs> <laughs> you can actually um, rent the island on Airbnb. Um, I think it's a few thousand dollars a night. Um, but in case you're interested, why not? You know? Does that... it come with an acrobat? No acrobat, but are you sure? Hopefully, one of those drinks. Maybe it's like one of the new Airbnb extras I can get now. That would be a new one. And then for our final segment, I'm excited for this one because I'm the degenerate gambler. Odds Bodkins. We apply odds to questions about his future. So the first question is, what is a bodkin? Odds bodkins. It's like a 18th, 17th century phrase for like, what the fuck? Okay, got it. I love it. So but we're focusing on the odds part of this. But I want to start with maybe an easy one. If you had to assign odds that PY1 will be successful, what odds would you give it? Is it a two to one Easy money? Is it 50 to 1 moonshot? Somewhere in between? What would you say? So I would say a 7 to 1 maybe. Um, Guy knows what he's doing when it comes to entertainment. He's proved himself before. His name carries a lot of weight. Um, It also really doesn't matter how successful it is. He's fine. He's just having fun. Um, so when it comes to personal success, he's he's there. That's a 2 to 1 when it comes or 1 to 1 even when it comes to Financial success, let's see. I, I trust him with what he's doing. I like seven to one. I'd bet on that horse. Abe, do you disagree? I refuse to bet on anything. No, I think it's fair. PY1 has some some shot. And, and I mean, it also, from a financial perspective, can be you, those pyramids, as he said in that clip, you can have yoga in the morning. You can have a dance party at night. You can rent it out for a super expensive techno wedding. Like, you're going to, you, you, there are a lot of uses for this weird technological space. All right. The other thing I wanted to debate on is what are the odds that Guy, this amateur DJ, will make our highest paid DJs list? 
Um, absolutely zero. Um, <laughs> I guess like a million to one. Uh, Guy, while he is actually quite talented, I've listened to a few of his things. He, um, his first ever paid gig, this is like a little fun story from the interview, um, was in New York City. He was pumped about it. It wasn't at his own place in Ibiza. He was hired. Um, it was a $4,000 gig. He goes home after, at the end of the night, tries to cash the check. It bounced. They gave him a fake check. I don't think they realized, I don't know if they realized who he was and figured he $4,000, he's not going to ever cash this. It's a vanity project. Or if they had no idea who he was, but um, it bounced and he gave them a phone call and said, hey, um, oh my God. you better send me a good one now. And and they did. They did. And he he is very gracious about it and will not tell me the name of the club in New York. That's very kind of him. That is an amazing story. Yeah, I thought that was super fun. I was actually, I wasn't sure what his DJ skills were, so I was actually going to give it like a 30 to 1 odds. Maybe, he, maybe. I mean, he's good. I, I, I don't mean a million to one in a bad way. He just has so many other things going on. He's, he's trying to go about, back to space? Yeah, like he's not about to do a, a Vegas residency. <laughs> All right, Maddie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. This was so fun, guys. All right, Maggie, it's time for last but not least. Does it get longer every time you say it? I gave it a little extra oomph there. And for those of you who do not know, this is our segment in which we'll give a little love to the other lists out there. Uh, Maggie, what you got for me? So, Abe, I took a page out of your book. You're normally the history geek, and I'm normally the pop culture geek. I guess I kind of married the two interests. I went to the History Channel's website and found a list of eight legendary circus performers. After Mm. all, Cirque du Soleil is a circus at the end of the day. But let's go back in history. This list includes Isaac Van Amberg, the great lion tamer. Ah, yes, the great lion tamer. His act was renowned for extreme daring. He would taunt lions and tigers and leopards and force them to stand on his shoulders. (laughs) And I think it's amazing that he made it out alive. Queen Victoria attended his show. We have Dan Rice, the king of American clowns. Uh, He was famous in the 19th century, though not as famous today. (laughs) That's an understatement. I I, I agree. Uh, And I'm zooming past him to get to Jules Leotard, the daring young man on the flying trapeze. He is a French-born acrobat, remembered as the first man in history to attempt a flying trapeze act. And Okay. But my favorite person on the list, Phoebe Ann Moses, better known as Annie Oakley. Oh, Annie, Annie Get Your Gun. Annie Get Your Gun was my one of my favorite musicals. I actually saw Bernadette Peters and Tom Wopat on Broadway when I was a kid and fell in love with the soundtrack. You're like gushing right now. It was a really fun Broadway experience <laughs> for a young child, but uh, Annie... Oakley, as she is known to the general public, married vaudeville performer Frank Butler in the 1870s. She, by the 1880s, had joined Buffalo Bill's Wild West and became, I love this detail, its highest paid performer. Ah, deserving. So I guess you could say she's one of our original power women. The sharpshooter is powerful. Yes, indeed. Thank you so much for listening to Listed, and a big thanks to our guest, Maddie Berg. I hope she's getting us advanced tickets to PY1 New York right now. And a special thanks to you, our listeners, for all the positive ratings and reviews you've been giving us. They are helping Listed rise in the podcast rankings, and as you know, we want to be number one. 
I'm co-host Maggie McGrath, editor of Forbes Women. And I'm your other co-host, Abe Brown. I'm a senior editor at Forbes. Listed as a spoke media production. Kieran Meadows is here with us in studio. And our producer on my other side is Reva Goldberg. Our theme song is composed by and performed by Will Short. Our production team is Caroline Hamilton, Tyler Norris, Johnielle Kastner, and Keith Reynolds at Spoke Media. And thanks to Travis Collins, Kyle Kramer, Randall Lane, Laurel Moglin, and Dario Furotan here at Forbes. And a special thanks to Kirsten Taggart for the video you hear in this episode. See you next week. Bye. Let's move on to Sidecar. Sidebar? (laughs) Oh, shoot. Sidebar. (laughs) We already had a few too many sidecars, which are a drink. (laughs)